CES Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Good morning. It's Friday, August 7th. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm joined right now by Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 24-7 Sports. Chris, it's been a long week. How are you doing? <laughs> it's It's been nonstop, man. College football is coming out as fast. It feels like August again, which is kind of nice. We were talking earlier. This has for sure been the busiest offseason we've encountered in in our time in the industry. And that's despite the fact that there's so much uncertainty remaining as far as the fate of the college football season. But that's probably why we've been so busy. But we've had schedule reveals all week. We're still waiting on the SEC to probably announce a schedule either Friday or Monday or Tuesday. Still waiting for the Big 12 to announce its, its dates too. But there hasn't been an hour at all this week where there hasn't been some college football news. Yeah, it's been, it's been a literal onslaught from players departing, schedules to COVID-related kind of things popping up. It has been insane. Transfer news too, so please follow 24-7 Sports for that. But yeah, it's been it's been nuts. Yeah, it's to the point where you, you're seeing big storylines such as Penn State being probably the first big school to say absolutely no fans in the stands this season. You're seeing stories like that kind of go by the wayside. Any other day, that might be our headliner. Today, we're going to talk about the USA Today coaches poll, which, to be honest, I woke up on, on Thursday not even expecting that to, to be coming out today or yesterday, but but it did. But we're going to talk about that. We've got some teams who you think are overranked, some teams who you think are underranked. But let's get to Penn State really quick. They said that you know pending any sort of change from their local government, their local ordinances as far as uh, capacity of events, which right now is limited to 250, there will not be any fans in the stands in Happy Valley this year. So that's that's a bummer for Penn State. Uh, no whiteout, no nothing like that. No Micah Parsons either. It's probably a precursor of what, what's to come. I saw that Texas still thinks it might get 50% capacity at, at DKR. Oh, I don't know but, about that. Yeah, so what's your reaction to this Penn State news? I, I think my takeaway would be they're playing hardball as far as refunds for 2020. You can get your money back, but your your donation to the to the club that the alumni club that you have to donate to to get season tickets, that's you're not going to get that money back. And then also if you try to get a refund for 2020, you're you're not guaranteed the same seat or parking spot in 2021. Yeah, and for those unfamiliar with how college athletic t- season tickets work, it's that donation that's actually probably the way more expensive element of your tickets. It's not the actual tickets themselves. It's kind of like the gateway to entry. And um, just to understand why Penn State is playing hardball, I'm looking at night commission data right now. And in 2017-2018, that academic calendar year, ticket sales at Penn State made up for $38 million in their revenue out of $165 million. It's around 23%. And I guarantee you about 20% or about 85 to 90% of that came from football alone. So this is a massive blow to Penn State not to have fans in the stands. It's going to cost the athletic department 35 to $40 million. And that's why you see Penn State pushing for those donations to stick. 
Yeah, I think it makes sense at this point why fans in the stands would not be permitted at college football games this fall. But we're going to flash back to an interview that we did in March on the College Football Daily with Celine Gounder, who's a medical doctor, medical journalist, Dr. Celine Gounder. Um, she, she talks about the, the natural reasons why fans in the stands would not be permitted or not be a, a great idea. And this, is, this was in regards to March Madness. So you're going to hear her voice, then we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to talk our top 25 thoughts. And we're also going to break some news, too, uh, as we react in real time to Miami star Gregory Rousseau opting out of the college football season. We'll talk to you all soon. There's no question. A couple things uh, make it riskier. So if you're having a sporting event in a place where there's community spread, so for example, New York, the Seattle area, parts of California, um, those are going to be riskier events. Um, and in addition to that, if you have people traveling from or to some of those hotspots, that also increases the risk in terms of helping to spread uh, and transmit the virus. So, you know, if you were, I don't know, um, playing a two-person um, golf game uh, in Antarctica, maybe that would be okay, right? You know, <laughs> but I think, you know, we, we, what we want to do is really slow down the spread ASAP in order to better address this in, in the healthcare setting. You know, again, uh, there is a sort of compromise option of don't have the crowds there. Uh, it's only the players, the teams. Um, but then, you know, you also want to look at how do you make sure you don't have transmission with the team. And so that would mean probably that you would want them not to be, be exposed to people outside of the team for some period of time. You know, maybe they also as a team need to be quarantined for 14 days or whatever, you know, makes sense. Um, so, you know, and, that, and that's challenging, too, right, to, to be able to maintain that. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Okay, we're back. Trey Scott here on the College Football Daily, joined by Chris. Chris, really excited to get to your top 25 thoughts in just a second. But we were about to wrap this thing up, and we saw that Gregory Rousseau, uh, the star Miami defensive end, 15 and a half sacks last year, likely first-round pick, maybe top 10 pick in 2021, is just the latest big name in college football to opt out. Yeah, uh, and apparently Manny Diaz got the news while on a Zoom call with the press. So that's how quickly things can change here. He went from saying that his entire team was supposed to be at practice on Friday to saying Gregory Rousseau, his best overall player, uh, has chosen not to play. So that just kind of shows you how quickly things are going to change. And I guess from Gregory Rousseau's perspective, why would you risk it? Um, He's considered the top overall defensive end prospect in a really weak class off the edge. So for him, um, I guess he's protecting his draft stock, but um, certainly a big disappointment for Miami, which was set to have the best one-two combo in college football at defensive end with him and Quincy Roche, a temp transfer from Temple. Um, I guess now moving into the spotlight is my guy, Jalen Phillips, uh, the number one overall prospect from the 2017 class, transferred in from UCLA, has been hurt throughout his career, but he's supposed to come back uh, this season. And he's going to take the spot from Gregory Rousseau, I suppose. Big news out of Coral Gables. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's tough for Miami because they were really celebrating a nice Thursday. Landing five star defensive tackle, Leonard Taylor, and then that that just that hits you. Um, and there's also some smoke that there the Gregory Rousseau will not be the last player to opt out. You know, there's there's a little bit of noise that by the time this thing goes live on Friday morning that Clemson defensive end Xavier Thomas could also join Gregory Rousseau. So. As we get into our top twenty-five discussion, yeah, and, we'll, uh, and just it, it, it's go imp- ahead. It's important to point out that the NCA has um, essentially set a deadline for schools to tell people about their eligibility status uh, for the twenty twenty season of the fourteenth of August. It's not necessarily a deadline for people to opt out, but it's certainly a deadline for them to understand kind of the policy. So, as we move closer to that date, um, that's going to be a pretty big thing to track. So, okay, top twenty-five USA Today. Coaches poll. I was a little surprised, Chris, to see Clemson at number one, but the Tigers are number one um, with 38 first place votes. Ohio State, two, 17 first place votes. Alabama with uh, three with four of those first place votes. Georgia, fourth, no first place votes. And then LSU at five with six <laughs> first place votes. So, Let's start there. Which teams do you think here are overranked? Let's go one at a time. You tell me the team. You tell me a little bit about why I might have something to say to it, too. All right, let's 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 start with the defending national champions because I think they are one of the teams that stands out as being overranked. Six first-place votes. I actually didn't realize that going in. That's pretty – I don't really know what those coaches were doing. But um, I did a story this offseason looking at kind of the number of starters that national championship, championship teams have lost since 20 20- – 2006 and how that kind of affected them the next year only two teams prior to lsu have lost at least 14 starters 2006 florida and 2010 auburn 2006 florida went nine and four the season after that 2010 auburn went eight and five Um, lsu also lost 14 starters and i would expect a similar drop off from the tigers maybe more like florida where they win nine games i guess in a shortened season maybe eight games seven games but neither one of those programs even lost close to the caliber of quarterback that LSU did when Joe Burrow, who is historically good. So I just, I just think in a conference like the SEC, where LSU is going to play four to five game, four games probably where it can realistically lose, having them at five is really aggressive considering how much is turned over there. And I haven't even mentioned the coaching changes that have taken place on staff. You can look at LSU and talk yourself into it. They've got the receivers. You reported on two days ago that Jamar Chase was going to play in 2020. Nice scoop, by the way. But we're banking a lot on Miles Brennan being not just good, but really good to be a top five team, right? Yeah. Your receivers can be good, but just because that you have that doesn't mean you're going to be winning. You know, normally ten games. I don't know what that's adjusted for now. The O line. I think LSU, and I think LSU is like the perfect example for that, right? Like. The LSU fans know better than anyone. You can have Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry on your team. And if you don't have a, a really great quarterback, or even if you have Zach Mettenberger, it's, it might not be enough to get over the hump. We just don't know enough about Miles Brennan. So I'd be really curious to know the six coaches who voted LSU in, and, and or at least having an, uh, uh, put them at number one. Ed Orgeron does have a vote. So, you know, you one down. <laughs> five to go, but that, that kind of baffles me because I was thinking about LSU as a fringe top 10 team this season, maybe. 
Yeah, and people like it's not even just the quarterback. They lost four offensive line starters, and I know that line won the Joe Moore Award last year. But there were times when that offensive line was bailed out in a pretty significant way by Clay Edwards-Helaire or Joe Burrow. So that's a pretty big kind of hurdle to clear too. Having them at five just seems a little high. I'd probably have them closer to the bottom half of the top ten. All right, who else was overranked in the poll? Going to stay in the SEC West. Uh, Auburn checked in at number eleven, which. I just, I don't really get that. Um, there's a lot of talent at Auburn. There always is. They're a top 10 team talent composite team, but there are far more questions than answers. Yeah, Auburn has to replace almost all of the nation's top overall defensive line, including star Derek Brown, who was exceptional at defensive tackle last year, really changed the game with his interior, interior penetration. Um, very few players like him and all of on uh, all of football, let alone college football. And four or five stars in the offensive line, there are no proven entities at running back after Booby Whitlow left the program. Uh, a new offensive coordinator is coming in with Chad Morris. And more importantly than all of that, Bo Nix just has a lot to prove his sophomore year. Uh, I think he got a lot of hype as a freshman just because Auburn ended up winning a pretty significant number of games. But Bo Nix, in I believe six games against top 25 competition, completed less than 50% of his passes. He's going to have to be much, much better for Auburn to come even close to living up to that ranking. So I agree with you that Auburn's probably a little bit overranked, but I do think there's potential for them to be sneaky, sneaky, really good in 2020. Bo Nix, yes, we talk about it, interceptions, not as efficient as he could have been, but he was just a true freshman playing in the SEC. That team almost did beat LSU in Baton Rouge. I wonder if Chad Morris unlocks this offense and, and really unlocks his passing attack. Charles Power was on the podcast a few months ago talking up receiver Seth Williams thinks he could be an absolute star if you got the fastest man in Anthony Schwartz on the outside we'll see right like uh, Gus Malzahn doesn't always perform up to expectations whether that's low or high so uh, an 11 and 11th place finish or start in the poll would make you think there's high expectations but maybe Gus Malzahn can point to everyone saying you guys shouldn't be ranked here yeah, and don't get me wrong. Like I agree with Charles. Seth Williams is a beast. He bailed out Bo Nix a lot last season, one of the best kind of contested catchers in college football. Anthony Schwartz went healthy is a dynamic difference maker. There are definitely some pieces there, but I just I just have a lot of questions. All right, I think you've got another overranked team for me, Chris. Is you going outside the SEC? Yeah, let's let's go out west to the Pac-12. We've had a conversation about Utah before, kind of in this line of thinking. And they're coming at number 20, which I just feels like a little bit high when you consider that Utah returns the least amount of production in college football, according to ESPN's Bill Connolly. That includes nine starters leaving the program off that elite defense. I think QB, Tyler Huntley was really underrated last year, guys. Like He was exceptional at times, extremely efficient. And they're bringing in Jake Bentley from South Carolina as a grad transfer. Um, Jake Bentley, in my opinion, has kind of had Benjamin Button disease throughout his career. He's gotten progressively worse uh, throughout his time. And maybe, maybe going to Utah is kind of the reset he needed to kind of revitalize his career and his NFL chances. But until proven otherwise, I have a lot of questions about him. Um, Utah is always going to have a really nice running game. This is going to be one of the best offensive lines Kyle Whittingham has had, but I just don't think the bones are there to make Utah the playoff contender. It was last season. And I think it's going to struggle in a division in a conference. that's surprisingly deep this year to kind of win seven or eight games. It's going to like be required to stay in the top 25. 
I understand that. Plus, Utah got Oregon added to its conference schedule as one of the six new games in the Pac-12. I was never a believer in Utah last year as a playoff contender. I wasn't surprised that they lost to Oregon. But, Chris, like I do think they deserve to be in the top 25 because they've they've done a decent job of recruiting. They, they're bringing in talent. And the thing with Utah is it doesn't really matter, to me at least, like, can you look at their roster and say, oh, I know who this is. I know who that is. No. But does it does it ever really matter for Kyle Whittingham? Like you just have faith that he's going to get it done. And when you have to rank 25 college football teams, and we've all been there, you get to a point where you're just throwing darts. And I think Utah is a pretty safe bet as a consistent team under, under Kyle Whittingham to, to be solid, to make some noise in the Pac-12, to win whatever a prorated version of eight or nine games is in 2020 and be a top 25 team is 20 high. Yeah, maybe like Utah is probably not better than Iowa state or Cincinnati, maybe not even central Florida, but I do think they're a top 25 team. And I mean, you make a fair point and that's one of the places I struggled with picking Iowa in the spot, even though I do think they're a little high. Kyle Whittingham has won at least nine games for the last five seasons. So he's been a consistent winner. I believe Utah has been ranked in the top 25 each of the last six seasons at some point. So he has pretty consistently built a program that is going to compete in the Pac-12. But I just think there is going to be a pretty significant regression uh, heading into this season with just so many new pieces, as good as Kyle Whittingham's been in his career, about kind of adjusting on the fly with that stuff. All right. Who do we think is underranked? Yeah, I feel like underranked is way more difficult to do than overranked. It's easy to call other people out. It's harder to kind of point out who should take their places. But I would start with Notre Dame at number 10. Uh, I believe when we did our preseason top 25, I had Notre Dame at number eight. And I think their chances have only kind of improved to kind of make noise this season by moving to the ACC with that schedule. Uh, Their schedule has certainly gotten easier, in my opinion. And with Ian Book, who I know kind of took a bit of a step back last season, if he can return to his 2018 form when he was one of the most accurate passers in the country, um, I think Notre Dame's offense has a chance to be really good. They're going to have the best offensive line in college football, in my opinion, or at least one of the top three. And the de- the defense under Clark Lee is always exceptional. And I think Kyle Hamilton, their sophomore safety, is going to develop into a top five defensive player in college football by the end of the year. He's exceptional, and I highly encourage everybody to go watch his uh, highlights from his freshman year. Um, I just really think Notre Dame's a team positioned to make some noise in the ACC, and I always lean towards senior quarterbacks in these situations when I'm making evaluations like this. And I, I just have a lot of faith in the Irish heading into 2020. Can I go with one? I think Ohio state at number two might be underranked when we were doing our preseason top 25 at 24 seven sports. Most of us picked Ohio state as the number one team in the preseason rankings. And I understand if you want to have Clemson one, like absolutely. No doubt about it. I had Clemson won most of last season and took some grief for it uh, after their slow start. But the Justin Ross injury, he's out for the year. There's question marks on defense. They only returned one starter on the offensive line. I think Clemson's 1B. But I think Ohio State probably is the number one team in college football headed in to the season. Justin Fields, so much talent on the outside. I think at running back, Master Teague was a boon to them. I know they have... They have some holes to fill a defense uh, on defense. They're not going to just replace Chase Young. They're not just going to replace Jeffrey Okuda. But I think Ohio State has something to prove, and I think they they should be number one in the preseason polls, and I was expecting them to be there. 
I, I have two, I have two kind of responses to that. First, I actually, I agree with you. I would have had Ohio state ranked over Clemson. And I think Ohio state's path in the big 10 has been significantly aided by two things. The last couple of days, one, the schedule is really favorable. They don't have to play Wisconsin or Minnesota cross division. And two, Michael Parsons opting out, I think is going to make a pretty big difference for Penn state. So Ohio state, I think is now a really heavy favorite in the big 10. And was in that game at, at Penn state. And yeah, no white okay. out this year. Yeah. Less Tie fans. In. Ohio state. Yeah, they're they're set up really well. I would argue, though, I actually think I had Alabama written down as underrated. I think Alabama should be the number one team in the country coming to the year. Okay. I just I I voted the number one in our preseason poll. I think they have the best overall collection of top end talent in the country and the depth to match it. Um, if you look at our top fifty rankings of players in college football, you'll find six Alabama players in the top thirty. Uh, Alabama is the only team in college football with more than four players on the list period. So that kind of tells you where they come in. I'm really high on the tide and I don't really think it matters if Mac Jones or Bryce Young starts. I think both are going to be really good. There's so much talent at wide receiver on that team with Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith leading the way Najee Harris in the backfield. And they're going to have four of five offensive line starters returning, including Alex Leatherwood, who's a potential first round pick at left tackle. And with Dylan Moses coming back on that defense, Patrick Sertan locking down the back end, I just really think that's a team prime to make noise, even if the schedule is far more difficult than what we see from Ohio State and Clemson. Look, I'm just crossing my fingers that we could listen to this episode in a week and it still holds up and none of those names that you've <laughs> mentioned have opted out, which is you know what people keep alluding to that's, that's going to happen. I just can't get there with Alabama as being number one. Talent aside, like if you want to compare the most important position in sports at quarterback, I just can't have I, I I can't put Mac Jones over a team that's led by Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. I would actually, if you told me that Alabama is going to end the season with Bryce Young as its starting quarterback, that would then I, I would assume that Bryce Young proved that he was worthy and played up to his potential, and his potential is number one overall pick. I would actually I would say okay, yeah, Alabama. I could I could I could get on board with that, but I I just don't know in, in a shortened and an abbreviated season if Bryce Young is going to be able to do that without getting spring ball either. And I think Alabama to really meet its potential in 2020 would need to have Bryce Young under center. Chris, who else is underranked? I've got two more. Uh, One that's ranked in the top 25 and one that's not. Let's start with Oklahoma State at number 16. I think Oklahoma State is a legitimate top 12 team heading into the year, which for me means they're capable of winning a national championship. I think the drop-off probably comes somewhere at like 14. I think Oklahoma State's um, a little. I know that was a random number, but I think Oklahoma State is the team legitimately capable of doing that. They return probably more production than anybody else in the Big 12. That includes Tylen Wallace, their star receiver, and Chuba Hubbard, their star running back. I realize the offseason has been a little rocky for the Cowboys, but when you put them on the field, they're going to score on anyone. And I fully expect Spencer Sanders, their sophomore quarterback, to look a lot better um, in 2020. Uh, I think he's really really narrow down on the intangibles this offseason. He's going to be a lot less turnover prone, and I think that's going to make a huge difference. I think the Cowboys have the best team Mike Gundy's had since 2011 when they came a Thursday night loss in Ames away from winning a national or playing for a national championship. The, uh, the, the Spencer Sanders, Spencer Rattler uh, thing in Oklahoma, it's going to confuse so many people. Um, let's play a game, though. Like We got Oklahoma State at 16, and this will help everyone who's listening who doesn't have the poll in front of them to get a better understanding of 10 through 15. Like let's pretend 
let's, let's pretend a few of the teams above Oklahoma State, let's pit them against the Pokes on a neutral field and tell me who would win. Or, and once we get to a point where Oklahoma State won't win, then we'll correctly have ranked them. Okay, so, so 15th is Michigan. I can get on board with Oklahoma State beating Michigan heads up, right? Yeah, I'm gonna disagree with this game a little bit, but let's let's go to ten at least, and then we can we can finish it up. But yeah, fourteen is Oklahoma State better than Texas? I don't know if they're better, but they're at least I I think it'd be a really close game, and I think Oklahoma State's beat Texas like four out of the last six years, so I'd probably argue yes. You don't like this game because Oklahoma State lost to Texas last year, and they lost to A and M, which is thirteen. Um, Twelve is Wisconsin. But, but, but yeah, but. Oklahoma State played like garbage against AM last year, and I still would take them on a neutral field, but that's that's besides the point. All right. Well, Wisconsin's 12, Auburn's 11. I, I think you probably get to 12. I think. And then I don't feel as good about Oklahoma State. I, you don't like that game because why? Because you, you think, you know, Oklahoma State gets to operate in, in its big 12 bubble. No, I think then, I think Oklahoma State's better than Auburn, and I think Oklahoma State's better than Michigan. I don't know if I'd take them over Wisconsin, AM, or Texas right now. Ah, okay. Okay. Um, who else? Who else is underranked? And sorry, SEC fans, like the fourth best team in the SEC West is not as good as Oklahoma State right now. But the last one is Memphis, which is not found on the poll. They checked in at number 30 in receiving votes. And I don't I don't really understand that. I can understand not having them in the top 25. They would have been 26 or 27 to me. But it feels a little disrespectful to have five teams ranked ahead, uh, ahead of them in the others receiving votes category. Um, 14 stars return off of the best team from the American last year, including Brady White, a, I believe fifth year senior starting quarterback. Or he might even be in a sixth year at this point. He's Kenny, getting up there. Yeah. Kenny Gainwell, one of the most explosive running backs in college football. The defense was much better than you think last year, finished 45th nationally in yards allowed per play. Eight starters are back off of that unit. I just feel like people are downgrading Memphis because Mike Norvell left for Florida state, but, um, Ryan Silverfield, uh, their offensive line coach, associate head coach from last year, is still there. There's plenty of continuity. And I think Memphis, along with UCF and maybe Cincinnati, enter as the three best teams in the American by a pretty significant margin, which means the three and the three best teams in the American deserve to be ranked for the most part. Circling back as we wrap this up, and it's been super fun to have a poll to talk about. I, I forgot to mention when we when we spoke about overranked teams. I don't know about Minnesota at 18. The opt-out of Rashad Bateman means they lose him and Tyler Johnson. That means their leading returning receiver has 28 catches. I get that Tanner Morgan's great, but some advanced metrics have shown that it might be even more valuable to have experience returning at pass catcher than at quarterback. So we'll see what P.J. Fleck can do. Also lost, in the Big Ten also lost their offensive coordinator to Penn State, which is a pretty mm. big blow. And they have... Um, I'm drawing a blank, but he was the former head coach at Western Kentucky. Um, he's He has not had the most successful uh, run as an offensive coordinator recently. He was at uh, Utah State last year when they kind of had their major drop-offs. So you have questions about that as well. All right. Well, Google him while I get through <laughs> us. No, I'm serious. It's, I'm going to do it, our outro. I, <laughs> I think it's Mike Stanford, if I'm remembering the name correctly. Mike Stanford. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. there we go. Okay. Well, anyway, it's been fun talking polls can only imagine what Monday is going to bring for us on the College Football Daily, but we will be here to tell you all about it, whatever it is. Hopefully, it's previewing an SEC schedule release. That will be awesome. Cannot wait to do that. Anyway, thank you to Chris for joining us. Thank you to our producer, Tani, for putting this together. 
putting every episode together. Tony's done an outstanding job all off season. I'm Trey Scott. Leave us a five-star rating if you feel like it. We'd really appreciate that. And we'll talk to you all on Monday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. begun which means you need to listen to fantasy baseball today in five part of the cbs sports podcast network join scott white chris towers and me frank samphill every monday through saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes we'll break down the biggest performers news and prospects who could make an impact this season make sure to download and follow on apple Podcasts, spotify the odyssey app and everywhere else podcasts are found